The Son of Man is the Lord, even on the Sabbath. Now, we don't really celebrate the Sabbath. We celebrate the Sunday. We kind of interpret it as a Sabbath. But whether we are right or wrong in that interpretation is for other people to discuss. But today is what we know commonly as the Sabbath. And uh, as we look at this passage and the passages that, that previously came before this passage, we can come to the conclusion that the Christian life is not one without heartache or trial or pain, conflict or confrontation. You will not get to skip the reality of conflict, controversies or confrontation in your life story. Spoiler alert, no one does. No one does. A cursory observation of what you read or what you watch on TV, what you stream on Netflix or Prime or Disney or Apple TV will reveal that crime dramas and espionage stories and family sitcoms where conflict is present. Today, we live in a world full of conflict and it's impossible to avoid. We have internal conflict within ourselves that we wrestle with ourselves. Who are we? What's my role in life? What's my role as a follower of Jesus? And so we have external conflict with other people in relations, whether it be society or even in our families or at our workplaces. We have conflict between our ideologies, how the government should be run, if I'm left or right, how the economy should be run, how we should educate our children. We have all these areas of conflict that comprise our life. Spoiler alert again, you would encounter strife and conflict and pain even within the church of Jesus Christ. You just take one look at the historical landscape of the church. We have disagreed about the interpretations of scripture. We have disagreed about our theologies. We have disagreed on how to worship the Lord. We even disagreed on who Jesus is and what he means for us on this Sunday of Christ the King. In other words, conflict is inevitable in the human life. There's no way you're going to escape it. And contrary to what you may believe, Jesus did not back down from conflict. He did not let anybody step on him or over him. And conflict did not fade when Jesus showed up. Actually, it intensified because of the presence of Jesus. Hello? Especially when it came to truly grasping the meaning of the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? What is it? Having said all that, Jesus did not come to initiate conflict. He came to resolve conflict. Because a conflict that is left unresolved is dangerous. He came to resolve conflict. Our passage today is one of those wide passages that we've been dealing with the last few weeks. The first one starts, they're all about food controversy passages, right? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? In other words, who am I allowed to eat with and not to eat with? Hello, have you ever met any Christians that said you shouldn't be eating with that person? Or you shouldn't be going to that place of iniquity? Or that den of iniquity? Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Oh, you're going to tell me who and when I'm to eat? And then in our passage today, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? 
Again, where and when to eat. The Pharisees are a key group in our passage today and throughout the gospel accounts. They're following Jesus along in our passages and they're trying to entrap him, they're trying to accuse him, they're trying to stir up controversy, they're trying to stir up conflict. Okay, they got their big spoon and they're stirring up a lot of stuff in there. They were like noisy journalists of our day, trying to be the moral policemen. You know, the right-wing journalists say that the left are all wrong, and the left-wing journalists say that the right are all wrong, and everyone's telling everybody else they're wrong, but who's right? Who's right? You think you are. I think I am, but who's right? Who's right? They're acting more like espionage spies, right? They could be the CIA or the MI6 or the former KGB, and everybody's policing each other. They're stepping in a role that is reserved for God alone. That's right. Boy, that's a place that you shouldn't try to be in. Trying to be everybody else's moral policeman. You have enough time trying to police your own interest help instead of policing God. Jürgen Moltmann, a German theologian, said, in our prosperous Borges Christian society, speaking mostly of the West, we are afraid of open entity. We prefer to avoid conflict. The church has preferred to avoid conflicts. And in the midst of avoiding conflicts, they have left a mess, a trail of unresolved conflicts because we won't speak to each other and bring a resolution. We have pointed, painted an image of Jesus Christ as one who avoids conflict. Even the word of God paints a different story. It doesn't matter to us. Because we brought our own pictures of Jesus, of who he is. And we don't read the text enough to find out what exactly is going on in the text. Not mere nostalgia of who said what. What is going on in our passage? See, Jesus spoke face to face with his opponents, confronted them. He engaged in what we call healthy conflict resolution. For the well-being of humanity, for you, for me, for the ones in the past, the ones in the present, and the ones that are yet to come. His death on the cross was a statement of conflict resolution between God and humanity. Right. And because of that, you are forgiven. Amen. I don't know how many times i got to say it. You are already forgiven, even in the passage in Sunday school, for the atonement of the world's sins. You are already forgiven. You need to move into that gift of God in Christ Jesus. So we have two controversies here. Picking in the grain fields and healing in the synagogue. And Jesus, you can be assured, is not afraid if he was here today of hidden cameras. Get your smartphones, you're gonna record what I'm gonna say, that's I don't care anyway. You can just record it when you want. It is recorded. Jesus wasn't afraid. Of all those smartphones that were filming events when a policeman beats up somebody or Something's going on in a plaza in a parking lot, and everyone's got their phones out. He doesn't care. You can have the best surveillance in the world, and Jesus will be who he is because he knows who he is. Hello? He knows who he is. So you can put all the cameras, all the surveillance, all the spy agencies together to try to entrap Jesus to see if he's going to do something wrong. But he's righteous, is he not? He's blameless, is he not? And he's not worried. Neither should you. If you're in Christ. 
So the first conflict has to do with the conflict of the Sabbath and what is permissible. Why would the Pharisees even bother to follow Jesus while he's picking grains for the hungry and his disciples are picking grains because they're hungry in the fields? Why? Jesus was known as a reformer. He's causing some disturbance in the community. Uh, uh, a lot of people don't like him. The people that receive the healings, they like him, but a lot of people don't like Jesus. Well, the principle of Sabbath observance was agreed by most Jews. They all agreed in the principle of it, because it's one of the distinctive marks of being a Jew. Sabbath and circumcision. These were your identity markers. These were the things that you said, I belong to this group. Just like a motorcyclist in a motorcycle club wears a patch on his back and says, this is who I belong to. Or a baseball team or a hockey team, their jersey says, this is who I play for. So circumcision and the Sabbath observance was an identity marker. We belong to Yahweh, who sent Moses to speak to the Pharaoh so that we can be free. Okay, follow me? Today we ask similar questions on the Sabbath, right? So after the service, can we go to family traditions and take us and have supper on the Sabbath? Or can we go to the Mill River? Or can we go to the Chinese restaurant on the food field to have a meal today on the Sabbath? Okay? Could we play cards on the Sabbath? Could we play video game cards on the Sabbath? And so on and so on. Where, when, and where are we to eat? We're stuck with food group controversies. Even in our day, we're worried about the right answers to these questions. And then we can do the, the thing that says, what does the Bible say? Spoiler alert, not much. <laughs> not much. <laughs> not much. They were laws made of men, but they weren't laws made of God. Though God said we are to observe the Sabbath, so stay with me. Stay with me. So what is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is commonly known as a, a day of not doing, a day of no work, a day of no productivity, right? You're not working for the Pharaoh no more. With his brick quotas that never come to an end, it just creeps day by day, more, 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 more. It's a day of stop, stop, don't do anything. It's not a pause to rest, it's a pause to be transformed by the power of God's spirit, hello? hello? It's an absence of activity. And the first place that we see the Sabbath is at the beginning of creation. After God created on six days, on the seventh day, he took the Sabbath. He rested, rested, ceased from activity. He set the pattern for those who bear his image. But the Sabbath's not observed to earn merit with God, to earn your brownie points with God. It's a sign of belonging, like I said before. For the, you worship the God who rested on the seven, so as God does, you do, right? As Christ does, you do. And Paul says, as I imitate Jesus Christ, you imitate Jesus Christ. So that we can be free from a 24-7 world. Amen. How's that working out for you? Amen. Hello? You know that there were no Sabbath observations until the Exodus? So that time between the creation of time and the, and the life with Noah and Enoch and, and, and so on, and even Abraham, no Sabbath observant was done until people were freed from Egypt. And then God gave them the Ten Commandments. You should keep the Sabbath day holy. Boy, that's packed 
few words, but it's packed. You should keep it holy. There was no Sabbath worship until the exile. After Jeremiah and all the other prophets were brought to Babylon, they started to meet in synagogues, and that's how synagogues came into view. So there was not even worship until then. So even during Jesus' time, it doesn't have a millennial history of worshiping on the Sabbath. It was just to be observed. Just take a break from your normal, excruciating 24-7 activity. The basic instruction that you find in the scripture is do not work. It's in the interpretation of what that means that different schools of Judaism and different schools of Christianity have argued forever and ever, amen, and for the most part missing the key point of the Sabbath day. The Judaism in Jesus' day broke down to 39 articles or categories, and under those articles or categories, there were thousands of sub-articles of what to do and not to do. But that came from the Pharisees, right? They put them all down. They, they were genuine in their search for God and their search for purity and their, and their longing to live a holy life. And we can be hard on the Pharisees, but look what we've become. Pharisees, you're all wearing a mask. How many times have you washed your hands? I haven't washed my hands so much in all my life. We're all Pharisees now. We got a zone A and a zone B and here and there. Everywhere else, dare anybody break that. So before you're hard on the Pharisees, we get to examine where we have come. And maybe God's brought COVID to teach us how easy it is to be a Pharisee. The rabbi sat who passed away two weeks ago, and who I've been reading the last couple of years in his commentaries from a Jewish perspective, said the Sabbath is not simply a day of rest. It's an anticipation of the end of history. Amen. It's about the Messianic age. Amen. It's where we recover the lost harmonies of the Garden of Eden. Amen. Where we do not strive to do, we strive to be Amen. image bearers of God Almighty. We are not permitted to manipulate the world. Instead, we celebrate it at God's supreme world of art. Is that what you're doing today? Look what God has created. Praise Him. It's your breath in our lungs. And we pour out our praise to God. We're not allowed to exercise power or dominance on other human beings, nor domestic animals. It's where dignity and equality is returned to humankind. Civil rights is not a new concept. It's found in Scripture where God told us that we should respect ourselves. We should hold each other up. And what better day to do this than that is the Sabbath day. Amen. See, these Pharisees, they were fighting foreign domination, foreign rule, the Romans, the Babylonians, the Persians. They were fighting the pollution of self because as they were in these foreign lands, they began to accept other doctrines, they began to accept other practices, they began to live as the people that took them under bondage or took them away. The same thing happened in Egypt. So they're a fighting group. And, and contrary to what we believe, Jesus was more, had more similarity with the Pharisees than you think. He was closer to what they were trying to do. They were not an official authoritative group. They were a bunch of lay leaders. Right? They had their teachers, Shemel and Hillel, that you read about in the book of Acts. 
But they were not an official stamp that you find in the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, or I like to say the First Testament, about prophets and priests. You won't find Pharisees there. So the question is, what is lawful when someone is hungry? What is lawful? What concerns the Pharisees about Jesus' disciples instead is the fact that they're traveling and they're taking the gleaning from these grains and they're eating the grains. But that wasn't illegal to do in the Sabbath. What was illegal to do was to take a sickle at the root of the plant and, and harvest it. Harvesting was illegal. But anyway, they have a problem. They thought like many of your parents or grandparents used to do that. You prepare Sunday meal on Saturday night, which was another misinterpretation of, of what it really meant. I mean, it was good practice to do. But that's nowhere to be found in the Bible. It's what people say to how I can do a holier Sabbath day. So the Pharisees disappear. There's a behavior by Jesus' disciples they believe is, is disagreeing to the Sabbath observance. And Jesus never denies that the disciples are out of line, but he pleads special circumstances. And he uses Old Testament scripture, or First Testament scripture, and he goes back to David. Who goes into the temple and he he's hungry and he says his men are hungry and they need some food and the only food that was in the temple was the showbread which was reserved only for high priests and the priesthood to eat and the, the priest at that time gives them the bread to eat because David is hungry so what do you do on the Sabbath when people are hungry well you feed the hungry hello you don't go around and you say, well, do not eat and do not pick any grain from a plant and you make a big stick about that. You feed them. You take care of them. And one thing that's even more important in David's day is because David was already anointed by God to be the next king and Saul is still on the throne. So to make sure that he doesn't starve to death, the priest fed him. The priest fed him. See, Jesus' argument notes that the purpose of the Sabbath has always been to serve humankind and not to go crazy about principles. They're good, but sometimes we can get out of hand in the way we interpret them, and the way we impose them as burdens upon other people. See, back in Deuteronomy chapter 5, which is a recount of the Ten Commandments, God began to say, okay, for all these years, humanity has not observed the Sabbath. Not even the ones that were in covenant with me. But from now on, I want them to observe the Sabbath. I want them to get a taste of eternity. Because the Sabbath is also rehearsal for eternity. Hello? For that different kingdom of God that we've been talking about. When that becomes a reality, we're already putting in motion and in practice that reality in the here and now. Of what that life was going to look like. So, here, here we are. And Deuteronomy 5, Moses again delivers these words. And God says, you know, keep the Sabbath day holy. Why? Because for three or four hundred years, when that transition, when Joseph died, and when they lost respect of the Jewish people, or the sons of Jacob, because they weren't even Israel, as we know Israel as a nation yet, somehow they got into bondage and they worked like dogs. <laughs> they worked... They work as slaves. And God's saying, hey, I understand what you went through all those years. And you need a little bit of rest. You know? 
And when we talk about the Ten Commandments, I always gave that thing about, you know, McDonald's slogan, you deserve a break today. Well, God, God said you deserve a break today a long time ago. Amen. Have you taken it up on the offer? Amen. Have you taken it up on the offer? Like, you deserve a break. Right. Because you're going to drive yourself crazy in a 24-7 non-stop working world. That's right. That's right. You need that moment of rest. You need to realize that our God is a God of life, not death. Our God is a God of common sense, not brutal, brutal, whip lashing with a, with a whip in his hands. He cares for you. It's a day to celebrate your liberation. Have you been liberated? Have you been set free by Jesus Christ? That, that's what we do when we reverse eternity. Because we're people of freedom, of liberty. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Is there liberty here? Amen. You're trying to enslave me with chains. Good luck. Good luck. See, Jesus is very similar to the Pharisees. He agrees with their intents. He agrees with their desires. They mean to do good. But they've just missed it. The Sabbath is not about the principle of not doing, it's about life. About life. And these guys that are following Jesus are hungry. So feeding them comes before observing the principle of the Sabbath. Hello? Mm -hmm. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Boy, that gets them upset. That gets them upset. And then we move on to chapter 3. Again, why were the Pharisees following Jesus in the cornfields? How many people sneak up on their pastors or church board members and see what they're doing when no one's looking? Uh -oh. You say it never happens? Well, I can tell you a few stories. Of a church where they put saran wrap on the door because they wanted to figure out when the pastor was coming home and what they were doing and who the pastor was visiting after the tragic death of his wife. Sad, isn't it? Sad what people will do. And there was nothing wrong with what the person was doing, but the attitude of the church stuck. They were full of arrogance. Now we're back in the synagogue, a place that, as I said, since the second uh, temple times and, and the exile is where the word of God was studied, where worship was introduced, as we know it today, where also the ministry of Jesus began in chapter 1, right? It was in the synagogue. He cast out the demon. Where was the demon? The demon wasn't outside the building. The demon was right inside the building. Right inside the worship service. There was the demon possessed man. And they didn't want nobody to know that Jesus took care of business. Hello? Because Jesus came to resolve conflict. Hello? So you can hear the whispering of the Pharisees. Here comes that troublemaker again, Jesus. Here he comes. Well, here, we follow him in the graveyard. Now they follow him back to the synagogue. Can't they leave him alone? Can't they leave him alone? Do you think this is a chance meeting between Jesus and the Pharisees? Or did they plan to trap the Jesus? These noisy journalists. These espionage spies, they're out to get Jesus. They're looking for a gotcha moment. You know? You know, you try to catch your kids stealing the cookie from the cookie jar. And I got you. I know who stole it now. It was you. 
wasn't it? So there they are. They're in the synagogue. And they're working overtime to set up Jesus. And they put somebody that has a withered hand, right? Just maldeformed, paralyzed. Did they put him there or not? We, we don't know, but we can, we can kind of hint to that they did, right? So there's a man, and, and they're, they're wondering in their mind, is he going to heal that guy or not? Is he going to heal that guy or not? Is he going to heal that guy? Because if he heals that guy, you know what we're going to see? There should be no healing on the Sabbath. And they're working through these back and forth answers in their minds. As many of you are working whatever is going on in your mind right now. And they want that gotcha moment to come to be. And then we have Jesus, and Jesus says these words. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save life or to kill? So do we take care of the sick on the Sabbath? Is Jesus saying. You know, back in Deuteronomy, you have that thing that the abortion movement has made famous, but it has nothing to do with abortion. It has something to do with all of life besides abortion. Choose life. And when you choose life in the Deuteronomy, it's in relationship, choose Yahweh, choose God before anything else, because if he's not God, he's the God of death. And that's why in the Gospels, he's not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living, living. Are you alive this morning? Hello. So the first one's about hunger, and this one's about life or death. What's it going to be? What are you going to choose? And Jesus says, you know, you got your principles all upside down. It's not about do I heal or do not do not heal. It's about can this guy be be alive or should he be dead? Should he be useful to the community? Should he be useful to his family? Should he be useful to go back to work? Because with a malformed hand, it's hard to find a job and support your family, is it not? So Jesus silences accusers and he'll say, because he speaks with authority. But who's this guy who speaks with authority? I think now, by now, you should get the gist of Mark's gospel. Do you? Do you? See, Jesus is angry. Oh, Jesus never gets angry. Yes, read it. It says Jesus is angry. Angry. Not angry that we get. His anger always leads to life, not to death. Okay? It's a righteous anger. See, the Pharisees have somehow put burdens upon people instead of releasing the joy of the Lord in the people. Hello? See, the willingness to put the keeping of man's rule before the well-being of the other people creates burdens and heaviness and weight and worry. So here they are in that synagogue and they're trying to, to see if Jesus is going to heal them or not. There's a huge gap between what the Pharisees things should be done and what Jesus thinks should be done. But again, we find Jesus in this passage taking the initiative. Remember in the paralytic man, the man never asked to be healed. Jesus did not touch him. He just said, command, get up and walk, take your mat and go. And the person did. It was healing from a distance. Even in this passage, there's no asking on the part of the man with the malformed hand and the withered hand to say, Jesus, can you heal me? Right? Jesus is getting angry at the Pharisees and, and of their attitude and of their arrogance and of their resentment to the kingdom of God that has broken in their midst. And, and, he, and he sees all that and then he comes out and he looks at the man with the withered hand and with the voice that he called out to Lazarus. He says, stand up! 
and everybody gets silent there. Stand up. And then the man gets up and his hand is withered. And he said, stretch out your hand. And the man is healed. Boy, and all the Pharisees, they're really silent now. These talkative Pharisees that can sum up 39 articles and another thousand sub-articles under those articles and some more articles. All of a sudden, they got nothing to say. But this is the same God, is it not? In the book of Deuteronomy, where they explain their exodus, says that he rescued you with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He delivered you. He delivered you. He stretches out to reach you. God does not keep his hand away from you. And he doesn't want you to keep your hand to yourself like a withered man. He wants you to stretch out your hand so that we can rescue the perishing, that we can feed the hungry, that we can take care of the sick, that we can bring life instead of death to our culture. Amen. And we already live in a culture of death. Right. Euthanasia, abortion, mm. fighting and worrying, and I'm right and you're wrong. We already live in a culture of death. And Jesus came to bring life to this culture of death. Amen. And as he stretched out on that cross, for your freedom, we have to stretch out and embrace the community and bring him to that place of life. Hello? Hello. Thank you, Lord. Well, we're rather complaining if I can meet at family traditions on a Sunday or not. You make up your own mind. Let me make up mine. But when it comes time to feeding the hungry, no one can say no. When it comes time to being close to someone that's sick that needs prayer, no one can say no. Those things are non-negotiable. Right. Hello? Right. Non-negotiable. You see, what happens is in the beginning of time when God created the Sabbath, then he created man to enjoy a Sabbath for eternity. Man rebelled. Man rebelled. And they've been miserable ever since because they never got to enjoy that Sabbath break. They've been fighting against God. They've been pushing the 24-7 world. I've said a thousand times, you want to control climate change, you want to make this world better, then bring back a Sabbath. If not for the sake of God, for the sake of the planet. Amen. Let it rest. Let it rest. And let it be restored. See, Jesus could have been a potential ally to the Pharisees. And right away, in chapter 3, we find out they're plotting to kill him. It didn't take them long. Huh? Two short chapters, and they're already plotting to kill Jesus Christ. Here is the one that is the Lord of the Sabbath. Here is the one that is the King of Kings on this Christ the King Sunday. Here is the one that is the Lord, that, that is the Word that created all things. And by him, all things were created. And instead of choosing King Jesus, the son of David, they choose King Herod, a faker, a phony. Just a puppet for the Roman Empire. They had a choice to be an ally of Jesus because they were similar in their outlook for holiness and purity. And they decided to go with the fake one. King Herod. You see what's going on here? They had a chance to be a potential ally. Instead, they became his adversary. Hello? How many times we mess up in life? We choose the wrong side. Because we're not seeing it through the eyes of God. You know, the Sabbath, and I like what Rabbi Sachs, if you haven't caught on to that yet, I'm still the quote him. And if they've been interpreting the scriptures 
of the First Testament longer than us, don't you think they know something that you can learn from there? Right? This is what he says about the Sabbath. If the Shabbat of the Sabbath had not been created, someone would have made a fortune discovering it and marketing it. Now you gotta understand Rabbi Humor when they say all this stuff. Here is a one-day miracle vacation that has the power to strengthen the marriage, that has the power to celebrate family, that has the power to make you a part of community, to rejoice in what you have rather than worrying about what you don't have yet. Relieve you from the tyranny of smartphone and text and 24-7 availability, reduce stress, banish the pressures of work and consumerism, and renew your appetite for life. That's what the Sabbath's all about. Hello? That's why we're here. That's why I'm here. It is supplied with wine and good food and fine words, great songs and lovely rituals. For Nazarenes, it's supplied with grape juice. If you're Italian, you have a hard toss between the wine and the grape juice. That <laughs> of you didn't get it. Anyway, <laughs> you don't need to catch a plane or book in advance. It's a gift of God from Moses, and uh, for more than 3,000 years, it's been the Jewish private island of happiness. Is it yours? Do you wake up on Sunday and say, this is the day the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad with it. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will sing praise to the Lord. Amen. Hello. Hello. To get there, all you need is self-control. Hello. That's where you come in. You need self-control. Say no to those notifications, Pastor Ben. Shut them off. <laughs> Shut them off. Oh, I got I got That's not so they can wait till tomorrow. Shut them off. Stop playing those video games. If it's controlling you, stop playing it. Whatever is controlling you, you should stop because what's controlling you takes you from life to death. Hello? So if it's controlling you, stop doing it. I think you know what the guy by saying, right? Sadly, we live in an age of a maximum of choices with little meaning. Hello? We can do so many things, but none, none of it has meaning. But when the Church of Christ loses its Sabbath, Dash, Sunday, whatever you want to classify there, we lose our meaning, folks. When we behave on Sunday as we behave every other day of the week, something's gone wrong. That's right. You know? The rabbi also said this. He says, don't give your gifts presents. Give your gifts back. Give your children. Don't give your children presents. Give your children values. Hello? Values. Instill in them the things that matter for eternity, not the things that are here today and gone tomorrow. I'm not saying never buy gifts for your children, okay? I'm just saying that when you give your children values, they contribute to the wider society and they pass it on to the next generation and so on. Today we can talk across the universe, but we can't talk to our next door neighbor. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? We can speak across the universe on our social media, but we can't make it next door to say, hello, how are you doing? In our present world, we drink the cup that mixes politics and religion. And it's toxic. We just see it, didn't we? In our election south of the border, mixing religion and politics, toxic. It doesn't do no good. It saps life. It doesn't give life. 
And some of them have said that shalom is a duet. It's not a solo. It's not to be sung by yourself. Shalom, peacemaking, is something that we need the other person to join us in the song. We need probably a choir to join us. We need probably the bass and the tenor and the soprano and the alpha all joining in to create this community of shalom, this community of, of holiness, wholeness and holiness and harmony. We need everyone participating in that. As the deer pants for the water, my soul pants for you, the living God. I need God as my partner, do you? That's what Jesus is trying to say. Because you can never resolve conflict by yourself. That's right. Hello? And many of you have tried. Trying to resolve conflict by yourself. You can't do it. You need to meet the other person. And my wife learned that at an early stage in our marriage. Because <laughs> I come from an Italian background that we just decide to resolve conflicts. Yes, sometimes it can lead to a little bit of hair raising or hair losing <laughs> at times. You have to speak to each other. You can't let conflict go unresolved. In the Gospel of Matthew, we read these words. This is from the message. Are you tired? We heard it, son. Are you tired? Worn out? Burnt out on religion? Come to me. Now, this is Jesus' invitation to you. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. Life. I'll show you how to take a rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Don't you like that line? The unforced rhythm of grace. There's nothing to work it up. It's just unworked. Just it's natural. I won't lay anything heavy on you or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you learn to live freely and lightly. What powerful words of Jesus. Who can make a better invitation to himself than Jesus? Uh, come on to me, all you who are heavy burdened. Right? And anxious. My friends, the world is an arena of conflict besides the Sabbath. I pray that we choose life instead of death. I pray that we choose to feed the hungry and heal the sick on the Sabbath instead of who's eating where and where are they eating and who are they eating with. Food controversy still around today in the year 2020. Oh, how foolish are we? See, God sent his son Jesus to give burned out, anxious humanity true rest. Anybody know what I'm talking about? To live in this rest of God. To sing this song, this duet with God Almighty. As the deer that passed through the water, as David said, that we need him to come. And for those that try to avoid conflict or avoid resolving conflict, look at Jesus. Look at Paul, who even questioned Peter. Our job is not to avoid conflict, it's to resolve it. The Sabbath is for resolving conflict and giving life. Let's pray as the worship team.